Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. Trust, faith, magic, soul. Other than sex and money, I'm not sure that there are many other topics that can feel quite so vulnerable to talk about, especially with others who may not agree. I know that words like this are complex for me and maybe for you too. Even if you totally sidestep religion or how trust can be a triggering topic for those who have experienced it being broken, these words are still difficult territory. Trust, faith, magic and soul all require an element of suspended belief. They can't be proved or disproved with data and are in no way tangible. So there's a temptation, given the somewhat evidence-based society we seem to have become, to dismiss them as childish or unrealistic. And yet, they reflect back to us the fact that there is so much in our world that we don't understand and haven't mastered, even though as human beings we like to think we know it all. When we throw our weight behind intangibles like this, it reveals so much about who we are. And I think this is where the vulnerability comes from. It's really personal in a way that saying you're into CrossFit or plant-based eating is never going to be. These are topics that come with the potential for heaps of shame and can be met with a scepticism that really hurts. And yet, have you ever had the feeling that there's something more than the physical functions of being human and that there are parts of us that science hasn't and cannot reach? Have you ever felt like your mood or feelings are being influenced by some unseen force or experienced fortuitous moments that couldn't possibly be coincidence? Even if a big part of you moves quickly to dismiss or rationalise this stuff straight away, I bet that even just for a second somewhere there was a spark of recognition. In many ways, it's that spark that my guest on this episode is bravely teaching us to turn into a roaring flame. And it is brave because there are so many people ready to jump in and poo-poo anything that can't be measured in a lab. I am one of them, or I was. I used to be a city lawyer, which let's face it, can be one of the most narrow-minded of professions. And I grew up in a society where I felt magical ideas were given fairly short shrift. I'm only just now beginning to let myself be cracked open to things that I can't safely prove, disprove or find some data for. And yet, I've always known that I needed this faith, trust, soulfulness and magic and a part of me just wasn't doing that well without it. It saddens me to think that we are so quick to dismiss the things we can't explain or define and it's actually kind of illogical and short-sighted too. If you're not open to anything out of the ordinary, then ordinary is all you'll ever get. Maybe Roald Dahl expressed it best in his book, The Min Pins, when he said, and above all, watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you, because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it. This quote is a great way to introduce my guest on this episode of Notes on Vulnerability, not just because she uses it in her two-time Sunday Times bestseller, but because it perfectly captures the essence of what she does. Kirsty Gallagher is the author of Lunar Living and founder of the online sisterhood of the same name. She is a lunar living coach and soul mentor, sharing moon and meditation magic and helping people to align with their souls. Now, I don't know what you're expecting after a description like that, but I can guarantee that Kirsty is woo-woo cliche free. Lunar Living is basically working with the moon's phases to understand the ever-changing landscape of our emotions and the inner world of our purpose, goals and dreams tuning into this deeper wisdom to make profound shifts in our lives. It's about working with cycles and self-awareness, developing a connection to nature and also to yourself. It draws on a lot of old wisdom and also magic. Kirsty's earthy, compassionate and engaging communication style makes you feel safe and her wisdom, well, it just makes so much sense. 
That's why she's been asked onto shows like This Morning to explain lunar magic and how she's been able to build up a community around lunar living that now numbers more than 47,000 followers on Instagram. If you've ever felt like you're just being buffeted around in the waves of emotion, external events, other people's stuff and events of the wider world, lunar living can provide your life raft. In fact, more than that, it could sail you to much brighter shores. As you're about to find out, you don't have to be a child to believe in magic. So let's let's talk about the influence of the moon. Like for anyone who thinks it's just decoration, yeah. um, you talk in your book about how it influences corals and plants yeah. and wine. Should we start with wine? <laughs> it's a good hook to get people in. I'm going to be honest. It is a it is a good hook that some of your favorite wine might only taste that way because it's been harvested by the lunar cycles. And I do feel the word I use, it's not a word I'd normally necessarily use, but I feel there's sometimes an arrogance to us as humans because we've lost touch with nature and the moon and the stars and anything to do with natural cycles. And we've tried to make life this very linear thing that can be controlled and influence of big tech and all those kind of things that we're like, oh no, nature doesn't affect me. Nature doesn't influence me. The moon has no effect on me. And if we look back to not even that long ago, our ancestors would live by the lunar cycles, by the wheel of the year, by nature, by what was going on in the planets. That influence would be taken into account. And I just feel like we've lost touch with this whole beautiful kind of magical way of living that's cyclical that gives us permission then to not have to be the same all day every day because it's just not the way that life is. So I was actually going to ask you about cycles because they come up a lot in your Mm -hmm. book and on a personal level I'm starting to notice them like everywhere from sort of like menstrual cycle to um, natural cycles. We've lived with this narrative that life is linear and every day should be the same or better than the one before which you kind of just mentioned there. What's the problem with that but what do you and also more like what do you think are the advantages of surrendering to a more cyclical way of life because I think when we I think a linear way of living gives first of all an unrealistic expectation that it doesn't give us any opportunity to be anything other than this like just this flatlining thing that goes along and it doesn't give any room for growth it doesn't give any room for rest I think rest is a really key we we've glamorized being busy like, oh, I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. We've glamorized working very, very, very long hours. We've glamorized having full schedules. And that's what leads to burnout. It's what leads to anxiety. It's what leads to depression. It's what leads to disconnection from other humans. It's what leads to the myriad of issues that we face nowadays in our life, because we've tended to think that we should just be on all the time. We should just be going all the time. And even like your car can't run all the time unless you put petrol in it. Our computers can't run all the time unless they're plugged in some kind of electrical source. Nothing in the world can just continue to run all of the time. And, but we expect the same of ourselves. And it's very interesting when we get into cycles because obviously naturally lunar cycles, predominantly women are more interested and it's even interesting when we look at this because a woman's hormonal cycles tends to be about the same as a lunar cycle. So we have kind of 27 to 31 days, you know, on a hormonal cycle, whereas a man's hormonal cycle tends to be 24 hours. And so even when we start to look into things like this, the world we created of the working day of the nine to five was very much created around this 24 hour hormonal cycle, which especially we as women 
don't have and we'll even notice certain times of the month that will feel differently to others and I just feel like even if we don't want to necessarily believe in the, in the moon and the, the more magical side of it what living by the moon or even living in alignment with nature gives us is, is moments to pause and to check in and to say where am I right now am I going in the direction I want to go in am I doing what I want to be doing am I on the edge of a burnout am I constantly saying yes to things I want to say no to am I not living in alignment with my truth and how can I take some little steps to amend that and so it's when we start living just back in this cycle that we get to do those little check-ins and from there we just live a much more wholesome healthy connected aligned life because otherwise we just run from January to December trying to go in one straight line we then maybe book a two-week holiday we get ill on holiday because it's the only time we've stopped in the last yeah. <laughs> three months or whatever it might be whereas if we could just give ourselves this constant time and permission to not have to be the same it's so empowering is this like the the idea of like the time to be and the time to do Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, we can't just then sit on the sofa and like set a little intention and be like, oh, the moon will figure it all out for me. It's like with anything, we have to meet the universe halfway. We have to meet the moon halfway. We have to allow ourselves to be seen. We have to allow ourselves to shine. We have to allow ourselves to step out there. But there's times to do that. There's times to do that. There's times when we can gain so much more benefit from doing that. And then it's only in I mean, even when we look at the lunar cycle and nature, in fact, the moon from for three, four days of every month will just disappear from the sky. She's just out of here. She goes. She's like, I'm, I'm going to go self-care somewhere. I'm, I'm, you know, but it's only from doing that that the moon can then shine as brightly as she does two weeks later. If the moon just burned full in the sky all of the time, I mean, it, it wouldn't. Asia wouldn't have the same effect on us. And, and I think that's part of the moon's lesson that just that disappearance in the sky for a few days every month just gives us permission to do the same. Permission is something actually that I got as quite a strong message because I, I mentioned before that I've done your lunar living sessions or I've done the, the new moon and full moon sessions yeah. and read the book. Um, and it was a real feeling of permission to do the things I had maybe deep down felt I knew were right, but didn't feel I was allowed to. Um, and that's kind of a counter narrative to all the messaging we're fed everywhere else. And on your part, I mean, that's quite a courageous thing to do because you're kind of like presenting an alternative. Mm. Was that intentional? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess so. Part of my mission and passion in life is to help people come back into alignment with self. And so I suppose... With you speaking of permission, we spend a lot of our existence and a lot of our day-to-day -day looking outside for validation, looking outside for permission, looking outside for what we are and aren't allowed to do. And as much as we feel like we're in control, the narrative that runs from the outside world is that we're okay if we have this or we do that or we behave like this or we buy this or we go there or we're friends with them or we wear this or we smell like that or you know we're, we're constantly even fed this narrative on the outside of what is and isn't okay and ultimately the only person that we ever really need permission from is ourselves and so when you can start giving yourself permission for a different narrative that's when life changes and life changes with each one of us taking I, I call it a radical responsibility for our own life that's how we're going to affect any kind of change in the world that rather than thinking oh it's just me what difference can I make I need to wait for my 
boss to give me permission to leave work early or I need to wait until the office doesn't message me on a weekend until I can have a weekend off it's like well then we give all of our power away and how will anything then ever change it's only with one or two of us starting to say actually unless it's an emergency don't come at me till nine o'clock on Monday morning that then things like this are going to take effect and change and so I think it's down to each one of us to really take back that responsibility and give ourselves permission for what we need in each moment and to know that that isn't a sign of weakness I think we even used to look at things like rest and self-care as like weak or selfish she's so selfish looking after herself how dare she and in fact if I don't look after me I can't show up on those classes and give you guys anything because I don't have anything to give and I've had to really learn that that if I don't take care of me I do not have anything else to give and therefore I can't um, fulfill my mission I can't live my passion if I'm not also giving myself time to fill myself back up again, I'm useless to anybody. And that's been a really big lesson. So is that where the sort of, cause you mentioned the mission there of getting people to connect to their self. Is that where this came from or is there something that happened previously that, that gave you this sort of vision? I think I've always had it to be honest. I've always been, um, I suppose a bit rebellious by nature. I don't like injustice. I like things to be fair. I like people to be treated fairly. Um, I want people in their power. There's nothing greater than people in their own power. And I'd even in my time in the corporate world would watch how almost disempowering a lot of the narratives were and a lot of the behaviours were, and that never sat, sat right for me. And I've managed to, I suppose, be one of those people that has escaped the corporate world and managed to create something wildly successful by following just a passion a calling uh, I, I say this often when I speak to people about kind of purpose and things like that but who'd have ever thought even five years ago you could become a moon mentor that your work could be to teach people about the moon I mean that, that just would have been laughed at people would have thought that that was absolutely nuts now national tv is asking me to go on to talk about this kind of thing and so it is just proof that, again, we don't need to necessarily follow this prescribed way of living that you kind of go to school, you go to college, you go to university, you get the job. You're not meant to really enjoy the job. And then one day you retire and that'll be that. We don't need to do that, but it takes, I guess, a little I mean, I'm not special. Anyone can do what I did. I can't sit with you and go, oh, I like won the lottery or something special happened to me. Anyone can do it. But it does take bravery and courage to almost step outside of what everybody else is doing because I remember my last day in corporate and everyone thought I was absolutely crazy and I could hear them all like she's crazy she's mad she'll be back in a week like you know but equally I know that most of those people in that office probably wish they could be doing what I was doing you know and so it does take sometimes putting your head up above everybody else and finding a slightly different way and that I guess takes a lot of self-trust and a lot of self-belief, which again, back to our original point, only comes from taking that time to be with yourself in quiet, to take care of yourself, to honor yourself, to love yourself enough to know when you need that time out. There's that element of trust and self-belief. Um, I think that must be a huge obstacle for anyone who's doing something sort of creative or which is an idea that they've had that no one else has had. Obviously, you just said spending time with yourself helps that. But is there anything else that builds this sort of trust 
I think it's just a little, it's a little bit at time. It's like with any muscle, if we want to build muscle, we have to constantly work on that muscle to be able to do that. And when I speak to people about things like self-trust, it's a, it's a slow and steady journey that we need to, to take time over. What we'll normally find is that we learn in the beginning by what we didn't do. So where we knew we should do something, we didn't, and then something kind of goes wrong. And we're like, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Or I knew I should have done that. And we almost berate ourselves because something in us told us, but we didn't quite trust in it enough to act upon it. So we normally learn in that way. So I say to people, first of all, notice how many times you almost go against yourself. And then it's about creating almost daily ritual where you show up for yourself. Because, and this is the way I describe it a lot. If I said to you, oh yeah, definitely would do a podcast like today. And then I just didn't show up because I was hungry, tired, busy, couldn't be bothered. You'd be like, okay, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Fine. I was like, but I really promise you I'm going to show up on Friday. We'll do it on Friday. And then again on Friday, I just didn't show up because I was hungry, tired, whatever the excuse is. And then I promised I'd be there on Sunday and then Tuesday and then Thursday. After a little while, you'd go, do you know what? I don't believe you anymore. I don't trust you. You're not going to show up when you say you do. We do the same to ourselves. So every time we say yes, when we mean no, every time we don't stand in our own power, every time we don't let ourselves have that little moment to rest or pause, we tell ourselves that same thing that we can't trust ourselves to show up for ourselves. And it's even on little things like, I know that I'm no good if I don't get a lot of sleep. If I go to bed late, I'm no good. So the first thing I'm gonna do on the edge of something big is I start going to bed really late. And it's almost a form of sabotage. So it's even little things like putting myself to bed on time. Mm. Little things like that, making a promise that I'm going to show up for, make it realistic. Like a lot of people when they get on this journey, like, right, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and I'm going to meditate for half an hour and I'm going to do an hour and a half of yoga and then I'm going to journal for 45 minutes. And if you've got a family or a big job or it's impossible. So on day one, you fail and then you're like, I knew it. I'm useless anyway. I'm not going to bother. Say to yourself, I'm going to show up for five minutes a day in meditation and then show up. And then as you show up, you start to learn to trust that I am going to show up for myself. And then it's about perhaps setting boundaries and starting to say no to things, which again is terrifying at first. But the more you do it, the more you're like, I showed up for me then. I showed up for me. Wow, I did that. And that little bit by little bit by little bit leads us up to, so when that voice says like it did to me, quit your job and go to India. <laughs> and you're like, seriously, <laughs> really? But you learn to by then have trusted in something like that because you've got all the evidence there that you show up for yourself. You've got yourself, you hold yourself, you're committed to yourself. And so slowly, slowly, bit by bit, it's like little daily practices we need to put in place to build that. A part of the work you do is helping people to connect to intuition and instinct. Yes. Um, and whenever I mention those words, half the people in the room roll their eyes as if it's sort of some kind of magical, or I, I don't want to actually put the word magic down, but also it's something intangible that, you know, like it's not practical. But the way you've described it there is it's actually, it's quite a practical process of self-knowledge mm -hmm. and using the, like, you the experiences of the past, your own intelligence, um, so how, how do you get people to connect to their intuition, especially if they show up a bit sceptical as to whether it exists? I think, first of all, it's again, it's about building the evidence of where you got that feeling. Most people will tend to learn by what they didn't do, sadly, because 
we we don't necessarily take the big leaps it takes to do that and so normally I get people to feel into a time when they knew they kind of didn't want to do something but did anyway and kind of what were the consequences of that or on the similar that they did want to do something and then didn't do it and then someone else did and had amazing success with it and then we can start to really get into how we are being communicated to at all times I often ask people then again on a first on a, on a very basic level to start to come out of and it's again something that's been taught in our modern day society along with that linear way that the mind is the only thing that we need to work with and our minds are brilliant if we use them for what they're supposed to be used for but the mind will equally argue both sides of the argument the mind will flip and change its mind at an instant the mind will tell you yes and it'll also argue for no it'll tell you to go it'll also argue for stay the mind is a very very confusing place to be if we try to live from here when we drop into body wisdom this is where intuition lives and so if you speak to most people they'll normally speak about intuitions kind of being in their belly and if you think of the words we use gut feeling i felt it in my gut i had a gut feeling we already have words for it it's already existed for so long but it's not necessarily something that can be then used in that linear way of living in a boardroom situation and i mean i remember my ex wonderful wonderful man but um a lawyer and so he would, on a very, very regular basis, ask me something. I'd be like, I've got to do this. And he'd be like, but why? And I'd be like, so just know. How do you know? Because I just know. But how do you know? Because I just know. But how do you know? And it'd be like a regular back and forth between us because he just couldn't grasp how I knew because this kind of thing is something that isn't even taught in schools and things. Unless it's one plus one equals two and it can be seen on paper, we tend to dismiss it. And so it, again, takes a lot of, trust in that element to, to try and, and, and come out of the, the mental narrative into, imagine being able to go into a boardroom and say, we need to do this, or well, why? Because I just know. I mean, and I think that's where bit by bit we've, we've lost it because we wanted things that are evidence-based and tangible, but I, I run my business completely off intuition. And I'm lucky I work with people who, who do say, I just know, and they go, okay, cool, let's do it. And, and here's the evidence of it all. But I ask people to drop into their bodies because your body very, very rarely lies to you. So that initial feeling you get in your gut, that initial feeling you get in your belly is normally the right one. And what we find then is we'll get the feeling, I call it a full body, yes. Your body will kind of say yes. And then it's almost like our mind is 10 steps behind and our mind comes running to you and catches up and goes, oh, no, but wait a minute. Like, well, what if, what if this went wrong? Or, or what if this happened? And then we kind of go, oh, oh, yeah. And so the way to define this, because it's a question I get asked the most, is how do I know what's intuition and how do I know what's like ego mind? Your intuition will normally be one word answer. It'll be quiet. It'll be clear. It won't try and argue its point with you. It won't try and change your mind. It'll just be there. Whereas the ego mind tends to be louder. It can tend to be a bit more critical. It can tend to be a little bit mean. It can tend to swap and change its mind all of the time. And this is what gets us into confusion when we then come into this. And we all do it. I still do it or I'm like, yes. And then the mind, I'll be like, oh, oh, okay, actually, yeah. I didn't have to drop out of head and into heart, into body and feel back into, does this make me feel expansive or like I want to contract? How does it feel in my belly? But because we're not used to doing it, just like with having that checking and building self-trust, it just takes time to begin to, to trust in that. 
because as you quite rightly said before, a lot of the world now have dismissed it. It's been dismissed, sad. It is, and I, but I also think it's silly because it's such a powerful thing, like to dismiss something just because you can't quantify it. I mean, yeah. we could have missed out on so much stuff in the world if we'd done that, we sort of, I don't know, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but electric cars. <laughs> but I, I hear you and I think again, without starting to even polarize it now, it's about that masculine and feminine way of living. And I think even if we look back at a lot of the, the things that are considered more feminine traits have historically been seen as weaker. So having emotions, weak, especially when we start to look at the corporate world, emotions, weak, showing vulnerability, weak, um, intuition, weak. And so instead we want all of those, those kind of more masculine traits and that's how we've led our world. And I think also because things like intuition is something intangible, it's something that can't necessarily be explained. I feel for a lot of people as well that we, we then, we want to dismiss it, especially if other people aren't used to living by that. They want to make other people have an intuition of what's wrong because then it helps them not to have to live by it. And that's normally because we know that on a daily basis, we're going against what we want intuitively. We're going against that. There's that little voice inside us that says we should be doing something else. We shouldn't be in this relationship that we're in. We don't want to hear it. And so instead we'll rationalize it. Oh, there's no such thing as intuition. No, because on paper, this is all perfect. And this is what I want to keep doing. So I think we want to ignore it because it does have that almost magical quality that can't be controlled. Because again, in many ways, science can be manipulated in some ways, data can be manipulated. You know, we only have to see what's going on in the world at the moment to see how all of this has started to come to light. Intuition is not something that can be manipulated. If you're talking to someone in their intuition, you can't change their mind. You can't beat them down. You can't control them. So do you think sometimes we reject it because it challenges our perception of what we, what or who we should be that's been sort of established by the ego mind? Possibly, yes. How do you um, tell the difference between intuition and fear? Because that's another, because I feel my fear in my gut and sometimes yes. I find it hard to tell what, what's intuition and what's just fear. Yes. There's a, I speak about this a lot as well. There's a very fear and excitement feel the same in the body. And that's why we feel them both in our belly. So when you think about fear, it depends what we label it as. And so for example, I, I don't like, and people are horrified by this because I do it so much, but I do it because it scares me. I don't like public speaking. And it- I'm no. surprised. <laughs> no, it, well, exactly, but I do it because it scares me. And I was terrified, but I had to retrain myself to be, no, it's excitement, it's excitement. And now it's a strange mix of the two of them. So you can choose to feel that fluttery feeling in your tummy as fear or excitement. If we start to view it more as excitement, it gives us a whole different narrative to be able to work with. Because the majority of the time, that feeling of fear that we get is the one thing that then prevents us from acting on that intuitive nudge. And if instead we can redress that fear into an excitement and instead open that into a what's possible, a different possibility, just expand into a different possibility, it changes everything. And fear is the one thing that will prevent us from going after what we want in life. It's the, it's the, it's the one thing that will keep us fight, flight, freeze, stuck in that, in that moment. 
And so it's about sitting with that and trying to feel the fear instead as excitement. And then somewhere beneath that fear will start to come through that, in, that intuitive voice that if it scares you, then I, I do that. If something scares me, I doubly know I have to do it because otherwise I wouldn't be afraid of it. There wouldn't be the fear if it wasn't going to be something big or life-changing. There wouldn't be the fear there. And so I'm even more excited when it does scare me. Like public speak, that's how I, that's how the book came about. I used to, there's an, the Mind Body Spirit Festivals. It's an amazing man called Mel Carley who runs the Mind Body Spirit Festivals. And I'd worked with them a couple of times doing yoga classes because he said to me, your name keeps appearing. And then he said to me, for the Birmingham Mind Body Spirit Festival in, I don't know, it was maybe 2016, 15, 16, you're going to do an onstage talk about the moon. And I said, I'm absolutely not. I am absolutely not going to do that. Like, no way. Put me in a room with 20, 50 people on my own in my yoga space. I'm happy. Put me on a stage. Like, there's no way I'm going there. But because it scared me, that's where I knew I had to do it because I was so terrified of it that I knew I had to do it. And it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life because I expected like three people to show up. I'd be really embarrassed. There was hundreds of people. People were walking past and like stopping in the walkway to listen. And I remember having half an hour and thinking, oh, I'm never going to be able to speak for half an hour. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And it felt like within three minutes, they were standing at the other side being like, your time's up. And me being like, I've got so much to say. And so on the rest of that day as I was wandering around, because it was about the moon, I expected women to be coming to me and saying that was brilliant. I was having like old men coming to me and like really big jacked up, like muscly guys coming up to me and families coming up to me saying, wow, I'd never thought about it like this before. That made so much sense to me. And it was a really defining moment that made me realize that people, people are looking for something to believe in. They want to know about this kind of stuff. And it's from then, they got me then to talk at the Mind Body Spirit Festival in London. And then Women's Health Live asked me to talk and my publishers were in the audience and my publishers in contact to write the book. So if I'd have let that fear stop me from getting on stage, which I tell you now, I could easily have said no to that. Like every fiber of it was like, do not like <clears throat> pure fear. But because of that, I was like, and, and that's, that's, I can kind of trail back the journey to that, that one defining moment of that fear could have kept me inside the house thinking I'm not even going to go to the show. That's really super transformative because I think for most people, the response to fear is that, okay, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't yeah. say that, reach out to that person, open myself up to that. I think there's a difference between that fear that wants to prevent us and then that intuitive thing that is like a no but it takes a while to discern the two of them it really does like I will sometimes get an intuitive like no and that will be a what does that feel like it feels like every single part of my body contracts and says no versus everything gets scared it's a very different it's almost like the no that's a clear no about doing something is almost like shut us down every part of me now just just feels no the fear that would stop me from doing something feels like it moves like it it butterflies in my belly kind of feeling it's it's more if I felt into my body my body would be saying yes but the fear excitement whatever labeling it as in my body would be like are you sure are you sure really 
oh, is that kind of difference. So it kind of takes a little while to get used to what your body's telling you. Yeah. Mm. And again, we all feel it in different ways. Some people feel their intuition as um, like goosebumps. I sometimes get goosebumps and people will feel it as something in their belly. Some people might feel it more in heart. But it's something that we have to, we're all born with it. We all are. We again only have to look at the animal kingdom to see that instinct intuition is, is alive in, in the animal kingdom, in, in, the, in the natural world. And um, we just have to learn to, to use it once again, the same ways we use our brains. One of the things before I picked up your book, I thought it was gonna go sort of heavy on the science side, kind of trying to justify it for the non-believers type thing. Um, but you've really gone in on the magic and I, I really loved that. So you actually say in Lunar Living, what we're working with here is magic. Like you just say it, which is awesome. Can you explain what you mean by magic? I think for me, magic is that that's something that can't necessarily be explained with logic. Part of the work of lunar work cannot be explained away with logic. And it was a really key point for me to put in there and to not try to have the argument because there's a part of me that thinks, that feels, if you want to come and argue with me about this, you're not the person that I'm going to be speaking to anyway. Like my work here is not to convince you that this is right. And I speak about this a lot with people on the beginning of their spiritual journey because none of us know the real exact answer until we go back to wherever we believe we came from. Like none of us know for absolute certainty what life is all about, what we're doing here, where we go back to, if we go back anywhere else, what's it all about? All we can go on is of what's true for me. What's true for me. And we need to get to a space in our beliefs that no matter what anyone else believes, this is my truth. And this works for me in the fact that this helps me get through life. It helps me navigate challenges. It helps me overcome hard times. It helps to empower me. It helps to give me re like reason and rhyme. It helps me to navigate my life. So now I'm at the stage where I don't need you to believe what I believe because this works for me. Me living my life in this way has changed my entire life. And I wanted to become a living example of that. So rather than want to sit and argue science with someone, just be like, the moon got me, made me a two times, Sunday times bestselling author. It's given me an amazing community of people. It's given me a purpose beyond any purpose. Like I love what I do, love. I've never, I haven't worked for the past 13 years. What I do is not work, it's pure joy. And this is magic. This is magic, where we can start to believe in something that can't be explained, where we get that, we're back to our discussion about intuition. I know, I just know. And I can't even explain how I know, but I just know. And that's magic for me. We've lost a lot of the things that we had as children. Like, we don't live in enchantment anymore. We don't live in wonder anymore. We don't... But things like the moon do get us there. I mean, so many people will confess to that moment where you stand and you see a full moon and you go like, wow, that reminds us that there's magic out there. You cannot gaze at a full moon in the sky and not believe there is some kind of magic in the world. You can't watch an incredible sunset or sunrise and not feel that there is some kind of magic going on in the world. I gaze at flowers and I'm like, how is this? How? That's where the magic is for me.
I mean, saying that you believe in magic, like for me, that makes me feel really vulnerable. Why do you think it makes us feel vulnerable? Because you must have seen a lot of people go through that. Yeah, I think there's two different answers to, to that question. I think, first of all, if we if we look at it from us as, as women, we only have to look back again to not that long ago to see that any woman who lived by intuition was a witch and was burned at the stake. Like we were burning women not so long ago for using herbs, for using crystals, for using affirmations, for believing in magic, for going off intuition. Do this, it'll make you better. Well, how do you know? I just know she's a witch. So I do think there's something that's come down through our patterning that again, we to go back to what we said before, because of this more linear masculine world we live in, we're very much based on factual, scientific, if I can't see it, touch it, does not exist. And that's that. And we've been shamed for it, I think. Even as children, we get shamed. We have imaginary friends. We're like so much more in tune with things. And then we get told like, oh, don't be silly and don't be ridiculous and don't talk to yourself and don't talk to ants out in the garden and grow up and go to school and conform and wear a tie and sit still and don't move and da da da. And so it gets drummed out of us, I think. Whereas if you can even watch children, like look at the magical world children live in. You give a child a pen and they're going to make a magical story. And, and, and I think that that gets just beaten out of us and we don't put enough emphasis. We, we don't pride people working off intuition. We give the reward to the people that used common sense or logic or science. Whereas the people that did that were classed as either lucky or, you know, I just don't think we give any emphasis to it. And so it's, it's almost like once more speaking out against what the masses believe. Are you basically kind of a revolutionary? Hmm, I'd like to think so. I mean, I'm very proud of magic and my magic. So, um, yeah, I just, I just love more people to see the awe and the wonder in the world and to live life as their life is on purpose and to see the magic in the moon and to have a rhythm and a cycle that provides then a support structure through what we're going through that helps give us answers that helps give us guidance versus us just being monumentally thrown about by life and living life like oh god it's so awful and nothing makes sense and doesn't need to be that way doesn't need to be that way mm. okay so you're also a soul mentor yes so just you know casual question <laughs> how would you describe the human soul the soul for me is the part of us that is, is made of stardust. There's that beautiful saying that we're all made of stardust. So I see it that there is this infinite expansive universe of consciousness and we're all like a little cop of that same energy. And so our soul is the part of us that is connected to the infinite, to the expansive, to the part of us that wants to experience life in all of its facets and experience as much as possible. Our soul is the part of us that speaks to us through our intuition, that gently tries to nudge us back on track. Our soul, for me, living a life connected to soul just gives my life so much more meaning and purpose than just being this almost irrelevant human being that has no control over anything. It is one of the things that people are pretty skeptical about. And I sometimes feel like it might actually be our most vulnerable place. Um, what do you think we lose if we're denying the fact that we even have a soul? life 
like life we're missing out on this whole big connection to life because for me if this was just about a human experience and as in a linear human experience that we've talked about where my only reason for being here was to go to school college uni get a job I didn't really like get married have some children have some grandchildren and that's it it's the end I'm just like what's the point in many ways like what where's the living where's the joy where's the juice where's the magic where's the where's the connection where's the purpose i think we just lose out on all of that we lose out on what life itself means i mean i'm i'm a resilience coach so a lot of what you're saying really resonates with what i do which is self-awareness self-actualization um, healing your inner narratives so that you're not being controlled by them, working out what you actually want from life um, and giving yourself space to be. So there's kind of similarities. Um, I, and I know that that works, but what does working with the moon add to a general coaching approach? I think it gives people, first of all, a framework that as we even discussed earlier, even if you just took every new and full moon as an opportunity to check in, that's at least twice a month that you get to check in and pause and figure out, even with a coach, are we going in the right direction? Have I gone off track? Have I stopped doing the work? Have I started to go down a pathway that doesn't really feel like it's aligned with me anymore? Because again, I think what we need to bear in mind is that it's okay to change. It's okay to want different things as well, rather than life just being this A to B and this is it. It's okay to divert. It's okay to do that. And so the twice monthly check-ins for me give us opportunity to just check in with, am I, am I where I want to be? Am I going in the direction that I want to be going? It Then it depends how many more layers we want to add on top of this, but it helps us to then, the moon will go new and full in a different zodiac sign. So the moon will travel through a whole zodiac sign in a month. So we get a new and full moon normally through the year but there's variations because it's the moon and she's feminine and she doesn't like to do things you know in exact orders but depending on what sign the moon is new or full in each sign carries different um influences and life areas to look at and different um traits with it that we then get to feel into so again if you follow a lunar cycle through the whole year within that year we'll get to look at all of the different energies of each zodiac sign. So we'll get to check in with our hearts during the Leo moon of, am I being heart-centered? Am I following passion? Am I allowing myself to shine? Am I being out there as much as I can? We get Aquarius moons where we get to check in with what's constricting my freedom? Where am I not free to be myself? Where am I not free to be authentically me? We get Taurus moons where we get to, to ground and to really feel into all my values where they need to be. Am I grounding, am I giving myself time to, to self-care and to rest? So again, in a year, we get to work on this whole spectrum of different life areas that we perhaps maybe wouldn't normally review or pay too much attention to. That makes a lot of sense. So it's, it's actually kind of, um... A structure that you move through over 12 months to get to know every part of yourself every part of yourself the moon will help you to look at every little facet of yourself with each moon and we normally feel the most emotional so the moon will talk to us through our emotions the moon is considered like the watery inner world of our emotions our dreams everything that's kept inside and so when you talk about vulnerability in the soul the moon brings to the surface what we tend to hide inside our moon sign in our birth chart is 
the who we are when no one else is watching, the who we are when we're really free to be ourselves and what we need to nourish and nurture in self to be, to be good in the world. So normally for many people finding out your moon sign is almost like a big breath of fresh air because I'm a Leo sun. So the, for, if you follow a Leo sun, being on stage should be where I'm excelling, where I'm loving to be, very sociable, very out of the people. And as much as I love people, I don't. I need a lot of time on my own. I, when I find out it's a Taurus moon, my Taurus moon gives me permission to rest, to self-care, to have downtime, to be quiet, to ground, to bunker down. And I was like, oh, thank God, it feels like I've got permission to not have to, because I was, I felt, I felt like I was a really bad Leo. I was like, I'm such a bad Leo. Your moon sign gives you that. And so our, the, the moon in general helps us to go into that watery inner world that we hide. So the moon will pull on our emotions. We'll normally feel the most emotional about areas we've been in denial about. Areas that we've known, this isn't the relationship for me, it's not the relationship, it's not the relationship, but that fear or that logical mind goes, yeah, but they're a really nice person, they've got a really, really good job, they're financially well off. Every moon will find that we're coming up with the same things over and over and over again until we then start to listen. So the, work, the moon will take us into that inner world of intuition, of soul. Is that the shadow work? Shadow work is... is same same but different we will definitely meet shadow work around a Scorpio moon the Scorpio moon tends to release shadows um we can come up against shadow work normally in the dark moon phase which is just before the new moon where we start to have to face what we've been trying to hide from or in denial about or where we've not been on the path that we're meant to be on and then we can come up against those shadow parts of self those parts of self that we do try to hide from or pretend that don't exist yeah so what do we gain from embracing like the darker side, the vulnerability? We get to be genuinely ourselves. And the way I describe it is when we, when we try to hide parts of ourselves, whether that is vulnerability, the fact that we believe in magic, whatever that is, it's almost like sitting on top of a trapdoor. And this trapdoor is like underneath you and you're trying to desperately sit on it going, oh yeah, hi, how are you? Is everything, yeah, everything's good, everything's fine. Well, we're desperately trying to keep this trapdoor down because we fear that if the trapdoor opens and that, you believe in magic? What? Oh my God, you're really weird. Like, what do you mean you believe in magic? When we embrace the fact we believe in magic, I'm not ashamed of it anymore. So it doesn't matter to me. Like, I own that part of myself. It's only when I'm trying to hide a part of myself that you can then make me feel ashamed about that part of myself. When we bring those shadows to the light and we embrace them, no one can ever shame us around that anymore because it's a part of ourselves that we embrace it's a part of ourselves that is out there in the open we're like I believe in magic and that's that we can never again be held down held back put into darkness shamed guilted any of those things when we embrace those shadow parts have you um had any sort of big failures along the way with this that has really activated that part of you I wouldn't say failures, but I, I've certainly, because I, I believe that everything that we go through is, is, is kind of meant to be, and we can choose how difficult we make it. But I went through massive like imposter syndrome writing the book of just being like, who am I to do this? And, and then going through the moment of like, no one's going to read this to suddenly like, oh, people are going to read this. People are going to read this. People are going to read. I'm writing about the bloody moon like people are going to just take the 
pee out of this like this is going to be it and then I was like take it off the shelves take it off the shelves <laughs> but again I suppose that was to your point before of like the whole thing of believing in the moon and magic has either been shamed or it's been like weird hippies who do it or like old it's like even yoga at one point everyone thought that the only people that did yoga was old ladies and leotards and then yoga got famous you know and so I then had to really own and accept the part of me that is like yeah I live by the moon and I'm not going to try and hide it anymore and so now that I've owned it it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of it it doesn't matter what anyone says about it because I own it that's who I am have you ever come up against anyone who's like really angry about that <laughs> no I'm going to touch wood as I'm <laughs> um no and you know what it's beautiful because it's, it's often met by um you can see first of all a little bit of a like right and then that turns into curiosity and I think again what I've really prided myself on over the years of doing this is I want I don't want to make it woo I want to make it accessible and clear so that anyone can take something from this anybody and I've done a couple of podcasts where people have and I I welcome skeptics I love skeptics because again, it's like, don't just take my word for it. You go and live by this. And if this does not work for you, this does not work for you. But then you own that. Like, don't think you have to live by the moon just because I've told you you've got to live by the moon. Like, go and do it for yourself. And then gather the evidence for yourself that this way of life works. Go and gather the evidence yourself. So I've had people on podcasts before who've said, like, well, isn't it just a load of rubbish and isn't it this? And I give them the same answer I've said to you a couple of times, but even if living by the moon just means that once a month you pause and check in, where is the harm in that? Where's the harm in that? Because if you don't know the direction you're going, you're getting constantly dragged off in everybody else's direction. The thing I usually do at the end of these podcasts is to ask the guest to give me sort of one note on vulnerability. So that's one thing um, that you would like people to take away from this when it comes to vulnerability um, and lunar living. I think for me, it's about having been vulnerable enough to be yourself. And so for so many of us, we, we put on this act of what we want, what we think the world wants to see of us, how we feel we should behave, what's expected. And as we can gradually work with even lunar cycles to uncover those parts of self, to uncover what keeps us small and stuck and scared, to uncover what our limiting beliefs are, to uncover the same things that come over and over and over again every lunar cycle, as we start to perhaps set intentions and see that they work, this is where we start to get that power to be like, I've got this, I've got control over my own life. My life isn't something that just happens. It's something that I'm playing an active part in and I can actively participate in. And it's up to me the direction my life goes. And working with lunar cycles helps us to do this. And this is where we get real power. This is where we gain real power and we get to know ourselves. And so even working with the moon can be a very vulnerable thing in the beginning to be like, God, every single dark moon, I find that I question my relationship or my job or this. And we want to like run from it and hide from it. But the more we do it, the more power it gives us. And so I think it's just the vulnerability to be yourself in a world that wants you to be somewhere different. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. That's been such an interesting time. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>